Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 80. We made it through the two most boring days in sports, everybody. We did it together. The Wednesday and Thursday after the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Always the worst two days in sports. We're back at it for the second half of the baseball schedule starting tonight in Cincinnati for the Brewers. It begins a 15-day trek that's going to determine whether or not they are buyers or sellers come trade deadline time. We'll break that down. We'll talk a bit about the NBA Summer League wrapping up. Bucks went 2-2. Two and two. two years ago was Game 4 of the NBA Finals at Five Star Forum. I was there. We'll discuss that, take a trip down memory lane, and the Jets are officially the HBO Hard Knocks team. Known distraction limiter Aaron Rodgers is reportedly upset about the distraction this may cause. Yes, that is a real headline. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. In time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, base hit the center! Snap. He looks, he throws, it's and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, backed away, it's stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle foul, throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. We've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, we did it, everybody. We made it through. We made it through the nothing. The Wednesday and Thursday after the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is what I would quote from the never-ending story. Something is destroying everything. Yes. We Nighthubs live in the South, and it's there, too. So it's, it's not just in our part of Fantasia. Maybe it's already everywhere. Such a creepy movie. That movie is so weird. And I watched it a ton as a kid. The never-ending story. The description from the rock biter of The Nothing that was taking over Fantasia. I watched both the original. There were three, right? Original, never-ending story, two. I want to say they made maybe three or four. And they may have made five or six. The first two, though, were the ones that we watched a lot with the flying fish dog. I forget his name. And we won't even get into the trauma that people of my generation went through. My people who watched the never-ending story, who watched the Artax scene, which I believe was never-ending story two, where his horse Artax gets caught in the quicksand. That's up there with some of the more disturbing scenes (laughs) In childhood movies, put it up there with Old Yeller, put it up there with Mufasa falling down and dying in The Lion King. The Artax scene had major rippling and crippling after effects on my psyche watching that scene play out at six years old. That's the scene, though, the the nothing, never-ending story situation I always think of when we get to that Wednesday, Thursday. Not a lot going on. And I had to fill in. I was doing, in our building, we have four radio stations. I do the morning show on B93, the country station. There's a rock station, the buzz, a hot AC AC station, the point. And then the heritage station in our building, the one that's been around since the 1920s, is the AM. Now it has an FM translator, 1330 WHBL. 
the guy who does their sports every morning that they air as a part of their top of the hour and 8.30, 7.30, 8.30, 6.30, whatever, their half past the hour news, they do news, weather, and sports. The guy who does their sports cast about two and a half to three minutes every day, his name is Mark Daniels. He does the Green Bay coverage as well for our Green Bay stations up with Midwest Communications. He's been with the company for forever. Training camp starts next Friday. Mark always takes two weeks off before training camp. It's the bulk of his vacation, which I get. He's the Packer beat reporter. He is with the team basically 24-7, 365 when the season starts. He needs a chance to blow the cartridge out, to hit the reset button, refresh. Once training camp hits next Friday, he's going to be going basically until mid to late February. That pretty much transitions right into the draft. There is not really a break there, and he's the Packer guy. I get it. On the same breath, I would say, I'm not going to say cowardly. That feels a bit dramatic. That feels a bit much. As the sports guy, to take a two-week break and then have backup sports guy, which is the guy that's talking to you right now, have to cover those morning sports casts and come up with two to three minutes of content when there is literally nothing happening. That Thursday morning sports cast, I don't even know how I got two minutes and 15 seconds out of it. There was no Brewer game to recap. The second half of the baseball schedule wasn't starting. There was no summer league game. The one thing that I had that I could have put in that was also local was the Sheboygan A's result. They were supposed to play on Wednesday, and they got rained out. We haven't had rain in two months. I logged on to Facebook on Wednesday evening and thought, all right, at least I'll have the A's game to recap. We can do a little local focus. They got rained out. Nothing on Thursday morning. The nothing. Hey, he'll return next Friday. It's easier now. On Monday morning, you recap the Brewers series. You can recap games and set up the next game. That's what we'll do the entirety of next week. Sportscast, though, on that Wednesday and Thursday. That's where you earn a little bit of money. We made it through, though, and we're set now for the second half of the Brewers schedule. We've been over this on Monday's podcast, getting set for the All-Star game. By the way, the All-Star game, it was good. I just want so badly for us to get to the new extra innings rules in the All-Star game. Remember when they took away the incentive? They put the home field advantage incentive in after the disaster in Milwaukee in 2002. Still my favorite sports picture. One of my favorite sports pictures maybe ever is the picture of Bud Selig with the MLB officials and the umpires around him explaining to him at the All-Star game on his home turf, the stadium that he helped build, explaining to him that they had no more pitchers left and they didn't know what to do. And him giving that <laughs> the ceiling shrug. I have not done the ceiling experience at AmFam Field where you kind of walk through a timeline of his life and the impact he had on baseball and bringing baseball back to Milwaukee when they left, when the Braves left in 1966. He was such a crucial part of bringing baseball back a couple of years later when the Pilots left Seattle. It's basically just a timeline of his life. I wanted so badly for them to incorporate something where at the end of it, there would be a statue of Bud Selig giving the Selig shrug, and then you could go next to him and give your version of the shrug and have that picture for the rest of time. Because of that situation, though, they added, remember, an 03 or 04. Was it 03 right away? Did they do it that quickly? Baseball doesn't move quickly. I'd have to go back and look in the archives and see if it was right away in 2003 or 2004 they tried to add the home field advantage component to it to add some sizzle to the All-Star game. Then they took that away. I think at that time they then changed the extra innings rules where if the game was tied at the end of nine innings, they do a home run derby. Each team selects three guys. 
they each get three swings, and whatever side has the most home runs wins the All-Star game. We have been so close the last couple of years to having that happen. And Elias Diaz, the Rocky All-Star, hits the two-run home run to put the NL up. I know one for the first time since 2012. It had been a long time since they had won the All-Star game. We were so close, though, to the home run derby extra innings. That would have been great. Overall, though, the All-Star game, it is what it is. It's like I said on Monday. It's my favorite All-Star game. It makes me feel like a kid again. I love tuning into the All-Star game and the Derby and doing the whole thing every year. Now we're set for the second half, and the Brewers embark on a 15-game stretch that if they can keep their head above water, it doesn't even have to be successful if we're going to be totally honest. Obviously, and I preface this a lot, we want them to win every game. I would love for them to go 15-0. I would love for them to make a statement here and go 9-6 and six in a very difficult 15-game stretch, or 10-5. and five. That would be tremendous. If you're looking at this schedule with a reasonable brain, 8-7 and seven would be awesome. 7-8 and eight or 6-9 and nine even probably keeps you in the race to the point where you are hopefully, now we know we have last year as example of they should have been a buyer as the division leader last year. They end up trading off one of their biggest, most pivotal pieces and bringing almost nothing back for it. Hopefully that's the outlier, and that's not something that sets the script for this year. If you can keep your head above water or even slightly underwater during this 15-game stretch, right when you get to the end of this 15 games, you're going to be at the deadline. Hopefully you'll be in it enough where you can say, all right, let's pick up a bat, let's pick up a bullpen arm, let's do something like that. I think even 7-8 and eight or 6-9 and nine would keep you within two or three games of both the division and a wild card spot. That would put you in a spot to be a buyer once we get to the end of it. It's rough. You're in Cincy for three. They just got the series win against the Reds going into the All-Star break. The good news is you've got two series against the Reds remaining, and they're both in this 15-game stretch. The Brewers took three out of four from Cincy in Cincy. They take two out of three heading into the All-Star break. They're five and two against the Reds. Even if they only take one game apiece in each of these next two series in Cincy starting tonight, and then the Reds at AmFam Field in a week and a half, that would give you the season series win. If you end up tied then at the end of the year, you win the tie on that season series record. One win in each of those two series at worst, puts you at 7-6 and six against the Reds. That's important to watch starting tonight as well. You've got Corbin Burns on the hill tonight in Cincinnati. Then they're going to go Freddie Peralta, Game 2, and interestingly, Adrian Hauser for Game 3. I guess Miley was used right before the All-Star break. He's had a long break, though. Brewers are known for trying to get their starters more rest because they lean on that pitching staff so much. That's probably another reason why Miley's not a part of this weekend. It will be Hauser on Sunday, a 12-40 first pitch. I would imagine then Miley will get the first game in Philly. Three in Cincy, then three in Philly. Again, like we talked about on Monday, the wild card is not a far-fetched idea anymore as it was earlier in the year for the NL Central leader. Brewers open plate tonight, a half game back of that final wild card spot, tied with the Phillies. That means that series is even more important. In Cincy, in Philly, then you've got the best team in baseball. The Braves coming to Milwaukee for three. Right after that, the Reds come to Milwaukee for three, the final series between those two teams this year. Then you go to Atlanta, the best team in baseball for three on the road before you hit Washington, which should present you with more winnable games. That starts a stretch against teams that are more 500 or below 500. The end of that third game in Atlanta ends the 15-game run and puts you right up against the trade deadline. Eight and seven, seven and eight, six and nine. Like we said on Monday, what you have to avoid here if you're the Brewers is dropping 12 of 15. You can't go 3-12 and 12 
or win two games or four games, that might put you four or five games back by the deadline. That's a more tentative spot than if you're the Brewer hierarchy or if you're even a Brewer fan that's that invested in it. If you're four or five games back and you're thinking about the future of the franchise and not just this year, which I've very difficult for me to do. I mean, hand up, I'm going to tell you, it's very tough for me to conceptualize the future. Anybody that's known me my entire life knows that, conceptualizing the future in terms of money, relationships, it's tough. But if you are four or five games back at the end of this run, and it's going to be very tough for you to make up that ground, you really do have to start to look at the future. Are you going to sign Adamas? Probably not. Are you going to sign Burns? Probably not. Are you going to sign Woodruff? Hopefully. You've got to examine those guys. Then if you're sitting four, five, six games back, We've been over this many times. The value on those guys will not be higher than this year's trade deadline. You hope it doesn't come to that. You hope you're sitting at the deadline in first place or within a game or two of the NL Central lead or the wild card, and you are hopefully buyers at the deadline. If this goes poorly, though, you could be in a spot where you're really looking at long-term, the next two- or three-year window with some of your prospects coming up. What do you have to do to be competitive next year or the year after that? We hope it doesn't get to that. When they get to the deadline... You're looking for a bullpen arm. Devin Williams talked about that at the All-Star break. He was asked why he chose not to pitch, and essentially he said workload. It's one of the biggest reasons. He's been out there a lot. No reason to put stress on the arm during the All-Star break or at the All-Star game when they're probably going to need him down the stretch. That makes sense. They've played so many close games. The offense has not facilitated too many blowouts. When they win, they are close games. They've been using Pagaro and Milner and Yoel Piamps and Williams basically every other day. For that reason, if they get to the deadline in striking distance, you want them to pick up an arm or two. I did have a texter on the B93 Morning Show this morning bring up Aaron Ashby's name. It sounds like he's going to pitch this year. He is a guy they gave a contract to that was very similar to Freddie Peralta's where it was low risk, high reward. You give a young guy that you have faith in a four or five year deal for about 18 to 20 mil. It buys them out of their arbitration years, maybe buys a year or two beyond that. And if things go the way you think they will, You've got a relatively cheap young arm for what they're producing. On their side of it, they're getting a lot more guaranteed money than they would if they were just going through the arbitration process and going with the guaranteed contracts in years one, two, three, and four. They get that to solidify themselves and to put them at ease that they got at least one payday. They gave Ashby a deal like that. Ashby hurt his shoulder in February. I don't think he threw a pitch in spring training. And he had kind of an up-and-down year last year. They tried to make him a starter. I don't know if that's the role for Ashby. They put him back in the bullpen toward the end of the year. He was better there. He kind of profiles to me like Josh Hader. Please don't take that to mean that I think that Aaron Ashby is going to win multiple reliever of the year awards and make multiple all-star games as a closer. I just mean Hader was the same way. Hader was a two- or three-pitch guy coming up in the Brewer system. He was a starter. Hader was a starter coming up in the Brewer system. And eventually they just determined that his stuff was better in smaller doses as a late-inning relief guy and then ultimately as a closer. It was better for him to be able to sell out for an inning or two instead of trying to get five or six or seven innings out of him. My feeling is Ashby's going to be similar, and he's got similar stuff. He's got the vicious fastball, the vicious two-seamer. He's got a good slider. You put him in the seventh or eighth inning, he's only got to face three or four guys. They're going to see electric stuff, and he's not going to see the batting order two or three times through. It just feels like he's on that same path that Hayter was on. He had that shoulder injury, he had surgery, it looked like his year was done, but every update we've gotten is that he is pretty far along in the rehab process, and I believe he's going out for rehab assignments either this week or at the end of next week. He might be further along than Woodruff. 
We're looking at Woodruff now. I would say mid-August. He still has not gone on a rehab assignment. The bullpen sessions reportedly have gone well. My guess is he'll start a rehab at some point next week, hopefully, but he's going to have to make three rehab starts at the minor league level, and then he's going to be on a pitch count. You're not going to get full-on Woodruff to, until mid to late August at this point. It does look like, though, Ashby is ahead of schedule. That could be an arm that you can add to the bullpen that you are pretty comfortable with if you're the Brewer hierarchy to give you some innings and maybe some high leverage innings. The other guy, too, is Abner Uribe. We talked about him on Monday. One of the top pitching prospects in the organization. He's always profiled as a bullpen arm. He throws 102 miles an hour with ease. That's just, it's incredible to see a guy not exert himself that much. And then you see on the velocity, 101, 102, 103. The thinking within the organization probably is that if you get Ashby back in August and you've got your rebate now, they can supplement some of these high leverage innings. How comfortable you would be late September or in the playoffs in a wild card series in the NLDS, how comfortable you would be with Ashby coming off of injury or a young, inexperienced pitcher like Uribe pitching in close games in the seventh or eighth inning, I don't know. If you are looking to the deadline, though, and thinking you need to add an arm or two, I still think they do. Maybe it is only one arm. If Ashby's coming back and Uribe gives you what you're hoping he gives you, maybe you only do need to add one arm to the bullpen to help ensure and reinforce what you've got going on there in the late inning relief. The late inning relief has been the best part of this team. Starting pitching has left a bit to be desired with the injuries and Corbin Burns underperforming a bit, Freddie Peralta underperforming, Eric Lauer obviously underperforming. The bullpen has been the strength of this team. Ashby could help that in the next four weeks. Uribe should help it more in the immediacy. And then if you're in the running, you are thinking we've got to get at least one high-leverage bullpen arm, and then you want to bat. If you can get through this 15-game stretch and you're right there, Get a first base bat that's more reliable. We've talked about Keston. It just doesn't seem like they're going to give him a chance. And at that point, you've got to hope for Rowdy to come back and get hot. If that doesn't happen, maybe you can find somebody to plug in there. Maybe you can find somebody to plug in at third base. Maybe you can find a true DH. As much as Jesse Winker seems to be loved by this team, if he doesn't get it going right out of the gate starting this weekend, starting this weekend in Cincy or the early part of next week, I just don't know how long you can keep a guy on that people like because he's a good guy when he's batting 202 and has an OPS under 600 as the DH. You need some kind of production there. If they can get through this 15-game stretch, that's what they'll be looking for come trade deadline time. We'll have more time to talk about that in the next few weeks. It all starts tonight. Corbin Burns on the hill. Hopefully he can set the tone for the second half of the schedule with a win in Cincy tonight. Corbin, by the way, we did for our trivia question this morning, our Brewer trivia question. Corbin made the All-Star game for the third straight year. The question was, the record is five straight. The Brewer franchise record is a player making the All-Star game five consecutive years. The question was, who was it? I gave the options of Robin Yount, Ben Sheets, or Ryan Braun. The answer is Ryan Braun. And if you could go back in time and be caller 7 at 6.50 a.m., you'd win yourself a $20 gift certificate to the Doghouse Pub in Sheboygan. Gourmet hot dogs. Gobble them up. Ryan Braun's the answer. Corbin probably will not be around the team long enough to tie or break that record. My guess is he's probably gone this offseason, if not this offseason, then at the deadline next year. Even if he makes the all-star team next year, he would not get to that tie-breaking year. One of the most random and hard-to-fathom tidbits of Brewer history is that Robin Yount, which I thought would be the curveball of that question, you think the greatest Brewer players of all time, you're thinking about Robin Yount is one, Molitor's probably 1B, Raleigh Fingers is on there, and Ryan Braun's in that conversation as well, a Mount Rushmore of the Brewer greats. Robin Yount, over an 18-year career, 
four, at least 17-year career, 3,000 hits, Hall of Famer, two-time MVP. You know how many times he made the All-Star game in his career? Three. I was thinking of the Tootsie Pop. One, a two, a three. Three. Three All-Star games. How is that possible for a first ballot Hall of Fame, 3,000-hit, two-time MVP caliber player who had that long of a career? We're not saying or not looking at a guy who in a vacuum in an 8-10 to season window was really good and only had three All-Star appearances. Three All-Star appearances total, not consecutively, total in Robin Yount's career. Ben Sheets did make four. I was looking back at some of the Wikipedia stuff about Ben Sheets. He's going to be inducted in the Wall of Honor. They announced that this week, too. August 26th, he's going into the Wall of Honor. Very much deserved. I've still got a Ben Sheets jersey somewhere that I wore the hell out of back in that 2006 to 2009 range. I basically wore it to every game I went to. When I think back in my lifetime to things that you could change, I know in the course of Brewer history, the one thing you'd want to change is Game 7 of the 1982 World Series. I'm saying in my lifetime. I was born in 84. In my lifetime, if I could go back and change something that I think would then change the outcome of a year, it may well be the 2008 season. He was an All-Star in 02 and 04 and then 07 and 08. Remember in 08, before they got CC. Ben Sheets was having a Cy Young caliber year. He was the starter for the NL in the All-Star game that year at Yankee Stadium and pitched two scoreless innings for the National League in that game. That's how good he was. And he was that good all the way until August when he had whatever it was, forearm injury or shoulder injury, things that plagued him his entire career, really. When he got upended by that, that was after they picked up CC. We got about a month, maybe three weeks of... In shape and healthy Ben Sheets and in shape and healthy CeCe Sabathia together at the top of their rotation. And that's when they built up their lead in the wild card. Sheets, I want to say, went on the DL in early September and just never came back. He maybe pitched one game or tried to at the end of the year. He was never himself. And that was a part of what forced CeCe to be out there every other day to carry that team to the playoffs. If I could go back and change one thing in my lifetime, it may be could I make Ben Sheets healthy that year? keep him on the trajectory he was on that season, and then you go into the playoffs in a best of five with peak Ben Sheets in game one and peak CeCe in game two, and then CeCe isn't on fumes. CeCe would not have been totally out of gas by the playoffs because he wouldn't have had to be out there every other day to get them into the playoffs and exert that amount of energy just to get them in. That may be the one thing that I would change. Also, if I could go back to 2011 and somehow make sure that David Freeze never plays baseball. I don't know how I would do that. I would distract him with something in his youth if I could go back in time. I don't know what that would be. Distract him. Obviously, 2018 NLCS Game 7, you could change the outcome of that and get him back to a World Series. Just looking back, though, that to me was a World Series. That 08 team with a healthy sheets and picking up CC, that was a World Series caliber team with Braun and Fielder and Hart and Hardy and that whole core of good young offensive players. You would have had the two most devastating pitchers in the playoffs that year had Sheets been able to stay healthy. But Sheets was a four-time All-Star. Yeah, Walk of Honor or Wall of Honor, he's going in on August 26th. I may have to get tickets for that. I was a huge Ben Sheets guy. We all were. He was the only good player they had for about seven years there. His 4 is one of the most underrated pitching seasons ever. Uh, the Brewers are back on the field tonight as they continue this middle part of June to the middle to late part of July to see what they can turn the season into. By the way, remember on my birthday, on Friday, June 16th, the Pirates were in Milwaukee starting a three-game set. I want to say the podcast that day, I said from that moment until mid to late July, 
That's a make-or-break 35-ish game stretch. They're 15-8 and eight in those games. They've played 22 games since that podcast. I'm not taking credit for it. I mean, if you want to give me some, fine. I'll take some. You can throw some my way. I'll take it. From that moment to now, in that 22-game stretch or 23-game stretch, they are 15-8. and eight. That's a hell of a good record. If they can keep that going, then they're for sure going to be buyers come deadline time. They are in Cincy tonight. Again, 6-10 tonight, 6-10 Saturday, 12-40 on Sunday. Talk real quick about the Summer League for the Bucs. They wrap up 2-2, two and two, get their doors blown off by Miami, of course. 91-72 last night. It wasn't a very good roster. You were trying to see some progression from Marjan. I think you did to some extent. What that means for him heading into the regular season, I suppose. I'm not really sure. You hope he gets more minutes, chance to develop. They don't have young, talented, controllable assets. He would be one of them. I would think early in the year, even if he's not playing the best, that's the time to get a guy like that minutes. You just hope Adrian Griffin learns something about these young guys that are going to be on his team toward the tail end of the bench as they go 2-2 two and two to wrap up their summer league action in Vegas on Thursday. It was two years ago today, by the way. I was at Game 4 of the NBA Finals. I clicked on my Facebook memories and saw that, and I see a picture of me next to the NBA Finals logo at Pfizer form, and it still seems like a fantasy. No matter how many highlights I watch, and I watch a ton of them, and since we've been in this run of on this day in history, these moments have been happening during that 2021 run. Twitter and the Bucks fans on Twitter, it's just littered with highlights of that run. No matter how many times I watch them, and I watch them all. If you post a two-minute video clip of a game from that year that happened two years ago, I watch the entire thing sometimes multiple times. No matter how many times I watch them, I still can't wrap my brain around the fact that the Bucs won the NBA title that year with the best player on the planet having a virtuoso performance in a clinching game, which is not that far away from the on this day in history. Game four was the finals game I went to, though. I'll never forget two years ago today, as I'm recording this at this time, 1030, we weren't doing a podcast, but at this time two years ago today, I hemmed and hawed so much over those tickets. I can't tell you how many times I put those tickets in my cart for game four got to the checkout line, and then basically threw my computer in the trash. I just smashed the monitor, x out of that screen. It was such an absurd price to go to those games. It was hard to stomach, even though I'm a diehard. I love the Bucks, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime, and that eventually is what won out, the fact that, John, are you ever going to get a chance to do this again? You hope you are. You hope during the Giannis era there will be more chances to go to NBA Finals games in five-star form, but you don't know. You've rooted for a poverty franchise your entire life, and you get this once-in-a-lifetime chance. you got to go. That's what eventually did win out. I probably got to the Place This Order page about 15 times and X'd out before I finally closed my eyes and clicked Place Order. And then I felt like Joe Exotic. I'm never going to financially recover from this. I'm never going to financially recover from this. That's exactly how I felt when I clicked Purchase. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. Those pictures there, I'll never forget walking in, walking through the Deer District crowd that night walking in and seeing the NBA Finals logo next to the Bucks logo, and it was just NBA Finals logos everywhere, and the Larry O'Brien trophy was everywhere. It was beyond comprehension. It really was. It was tough. It felt like I was floating through a fever dream that entire game, and that was the Giannis block of Aiton game. That was heading towards us. We were on that end, on that end of the floor. When that ball was thrown in the air by Booker, and you saw where Aiton was, and you saw where Giannis was, it was coming right at us. I thought there's no way this is not going to end in an alley-oop dunk. And somehow Giannis went Jordan Stretch Armstrong from Space Jam and got that deflected, then yelled at the crowd. Pat Connaughton hit huge threes that night. 
and they were able to win it 109-103. I remember walking out, bucks and six, bucks and six. Fireworks were going off outside of Pfizer Forum. Planned fireworks were going off outside of Pfizer Forum. I'll never forget it. One of the great sports experiences of my life that, yes, we are still probably paying for on a credit card somewhere. That was two years ago. Summer League is done. Now you're in a nothing period. Speaking of the nothing, it's a nothing NBA period until training camps will start, I think, at the end of August. Speaking of training camps, that's a transition. We have confirmation (laughs) that the Jets are going to be the Hard Knocks team. We talked about that a week or two ago. The rumor was that it was going to be the Jets. What other team could it be of the eligible teams? That was confirmed by HBO. They begin filming in five days. There was a report on Twitter that known distraction limiter Aaron Rodgers, a man who we all know, Just likes to go to work, keeps to himself, works hard, wants to go home and not be heard from again until the next day when he punches the clock again. We all know that about Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Apparently, Aaron Rodgers was upset that the Jets are going to be on hard knocks because it's going to bring a distraction to the locker room. And then he looked at the camera and winked. (laughs) Nobody is happier than Aaron Charles Rodgers that Hard Knocks is going to be in New York. HBO producers have to be drooling at the prospect of getting Aaron Rodgers to sit down to one-on-one interviews, picking his brain, all the different life philosophies he has, and the ayahuasca tea and the darkness retreats. He thinks he's a modern-day Socrates with the way he talks. I cannot wait for these guys to sit down and just have Aaron Rodgers unfiltered and then see what they can put together for the actual show. The only problem they may run into is that he's going to give them so much content. HBO doesn't have the parameters of regular TV where you have to be 23 minutes in a hard out or whatever the episode is. They can go longer if they want to. I think they try to keep that Hard Knocks episode to 30 to 35 minutes. They may have too much content. There may be too much crazy talk that they are going to have to pick and choose or maybe take things out that are entertaining because they don't have time to fit it in. Nobody is happier than Aaron Rodgers that they are going to get a sounding post for the entirety of that episode or the entirety of that run of this season of that series. And I have not watched a full Hard Knocks season since the Jets season, since Rex Ryan, a little bit of the Coach Mack one when they were with Dallas. This is going to be one that everybody's going to sit down and watch. And Packer fans can say, we talked about it on the air, And I've seen so many social media posts about it on different Packers sites that the Jets are going to be the Hard Knocks team. People just posting links to it. Of course, in the comment sections, you get Packer fans. Why are you even talking about him anymore? He's not our quarterback. He's the the New York Jets quarterback. Talk about the Packers quarterback. And I got some of that when we brought it up on Wednesday, too, on the air that they were going to be the Hard Knocks team. I got that on the text line. Who cares, John? Who cares about Aaron Rodgers anymore? He's not our quarterback anymore. Let me tell you something, friends. As somebody who runs a social media site dedicated to the Packers through Midwest Communications, I've seen the numbers. You post about Aaron Rodgers. People can hop in the comment section all they want and say they don't care about it and he's not our quarterback anymore. And why are you posting about the Jets quarterback and all that other crap people want to say in comment sections and act like tough guys? He generates clicks. An Aaron Rodgers post versus a Jordan Love post or something about somebody else for the Packers gets five times the clicks. At least five times the clicks. You may think the interest is not there or you want to hope the interest is not there, but it is there. The ratings for that show are going to be huge. I would be very intrigued to see the ratings or downloads in the Wisconsin area for this upcoming series for this season of Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks generally starts at the second week of August, August 9th or 10th. They haven't given a firm date on that yet. They begin filming next week. I did have a texter. 
It was interesting. A texter, when we talked about this on Wednesday, that said, here, I actually have it. I wrote it down. Had a texter on the B93 Morning Show. Oh, he asked if Aaron Rodgers leans into his crazy now. Is he just playing a character of himself? I think what that texter is saying is Aaron likes that attention so much. Does he purposefully say crazy things? Or maybe he partially believes some of it, but then makes it a bigger deal because he knows it's going to garner a reaction. I thought it was a good question. I don't know what's going on in that noggin. I don't know what's going on in Aaron Rodgers' brain. I do still feel like he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room on most subjects, and maybe he is well-read on certain things and certain life philosophies, and I know he has likes to think he has a very worldly perspective. He could be well-read. I don't know. None of us really know what he's doing behind the scenes. I would say 60% of his brain or 65% of his brain thinks he's the smartest man in the room on most subjects. 20% of his brain at least is committed to conspiracy theories and Reddit threads, which I can't throw too many stones, <laughs> so I sort of fit in that same boat. I don't know that I believe them, but I find them entertaining. And then 15% of him at least, or 20%, probably does enjoy when he says something that's a little bit, as Kramer would say, out there. He does enjoy the reactions and the conversation that starts on Twitter and Facebook and podcasters and everybody's talking about him. There is a part of his brain that probably does lean into it a little bit because he enjoys the reaction that it gets. It was an interesting question. We're going to find out more about it when Hard Knock starts. I will be locked and loaded watching live whatever day it is. It's generally a Sunday night show. I would guess this is going to premiere on Sunday night, August 13th, but we will wait for the official word on that. That is a that was a big that was a big big nugget that came out this week. Luckily, it did come out during one of the nothing days. It at least gave you something that you could deal with. But if I had to break down the Rogers brain percentages, I think I'd have it somewhere in in that range. And then finally today, Northwestern I'm not going to touch a ton on this. We, I've not read every article about it. Who had Northwestern as the next major college program with controversy and unsavory things happening behind the scenes? You think of Northwestern, the prestige of that university, how academically focused it is. If you would have asked me before three weeks ago what the biggest controversy they could be involved in, I don't know, overdue library books or tor- maybe they torrented the next season of Mandalorian before it was officially released and Disney was upset about it, something like that, something very nerdy. For the things that are being reported, there was the hazing report, the student newspaper reported on a hazing incident from an anonymous Northwestern player. If everything that this anonymous player is saying is to be believed, weird stuff, really weird and aggressive stuff. That came out, Northwestern, instantly suspended Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach, for two weeks. As more stuff came out and then more attention was drawn to it because of all the posts on social medias and TikTok and Twitter, as that started to gain steam, it looks like the administration felt like we've got to do something more than a two-week suspension, and they fired him. Pat Fitzgerald said before the two-week suspension that he had no idea this hazing was going on. I'm not going to claim anything with 100% certainty, I find it impossible to believe that a Division I football coach does not know every single thing that is happening in his program. I find that very hard to believe. I cover D2 teams and D3 teams, and those head coaches know everybody's name. They know where everybody is. Everybody's accounted for every minute of every day. It is that intense 
in college athletics, even at the D2 or D3 or NAIA level. That's how big it is. Division one, there's to me, if I'm just throwing it out there, there's no chance he didn't know some of this was happening. That was his assertion, though, that he had no clue it was happening. He claimed the ignorance is <laughs> ignorance is bliss. He claimed ignorance. That got him the two weeks. As more of this came out, he gets fired. That is a shock. Pat Fitzgerald is their guy. He's the native son. He was a part of that Rose Bowl team in the mid-90s, one of the best linebackers in college football at that time. He became the head coach after spending some time in other programs and then as an assistant on a couple of different levels, gets the head coaching job in 06. And he's done the best with that program when you consider the facilities. They're upgrading Ryan Field now. It's one of the worst stadiums in D1 college football. It's definitely the worst in the Big Ten. With what he has resource-wise and how hard it is to meet the academic bar at Northwestern, he's gotten a lot of that program. 110 and 101 is career record. He's won two Big Ten West titles. He was in that Big Ten title then game, of course, in 2018 and 2020. He's their native son. And he was a guy, you think back to when the Packers hired Matt LaFleur, there were rumors that Pat Fitzgerald, I don't know if there were interviews there that actually happened, there were pretty big rumors that Fitzgerald was being considered as a potential coaching candidate to take over Mike McCarthy. Pat Fitzgerald has been connected to the Packers in a lot of different ways over the years. That's how revered and respected his name is. For them to fire him, something obviously was going on there, and then as more information came out, they just couldn't sit on the two-week suspension. He has lawyered up. Litigation is definitely coming. Then this morning or late last night, the baseball coach was fired at Northwestern for having unsavory things happening behind the scenes or something going on there. Northwestern? I can't believe that. I can't believe that they're this source of controversy with not just the football program, but now the baseball program. You wonder if it's endemic throughout the entire thing. Crazy. I would never have bet. You think of the different universities that have scandals, Miami of Florida and the SMU scandal back in the day, major programs in the SEC I would never have guessed Northwestern. Crazy week at that campus. That'll do it for us here on your Friday. We'll get back to after on Monday, talk about the recap of the Brewers-Red series. Hopefully you get a series win there. That would be such an important first step to the second half. We'll be talking about that on Monday. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then.